You're listening to Get Real KC with Jen and Eric. Kansas City's consumer-facing real estate podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Get Real KC, where we are overflowing with a passion for all things real estate. I'm Eric Jurgensen. I'm JJ, or Jen Justice. JJ. All right. Excellent. Mix it up. Mix it up a little bit. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today we are redoing, it's a redux of our seller series. So Update. Update, right. And kind of, a, we're going to streamline it a little bit. We're going to take five episodes. We're going to streamline it down to three, make it a little bit easier for people to consume. And then, you know, when we did that, I think that was like our 11th episode was the first of those. And so when we did that, um, we were like in the throes of pandemic, just coming out of lockdowns at the, uh, sort of. So we didn't really, I think, focus so much on things that sellers need to do to uh, to really prepare and market their home because we didn't need to do that for about two years. But now we're kind of in a market that's a little bit more normal. Sort of. Sort of. The market's a little bit more normal. It might take a little more time to sell. You might need a little more oomph right. as a seller uh, because the buyers have a little more to pick from, a little more time. Interest rates have gone up. So there's a lot of variables in the market that didn't exist in 2020 when the podcast was in its infancy. That's right. And yeah. Hopefully we've gotten better. <laughs> we, we Yes, we've gotten better. But uh, buyers were racing through in droves. Oh, yeah. And we're just, at least as we speak, we're not seeing that. And we would even tell you then, if you go back and listen, that's not a normal market. Uh, and so it never happened in the history of uh, real estate, to my knowledge, and definitely not in the two decades that I had been involved in real sure. estate had we ever seen buyers to the level that we had seen. Buyers I wonder. Of. I wonder if there was a run like that in the post World War II stuff. I wonder. I don't That'd know. be interesting to go back and look. Uh, we are going to cover some of the same material that we covered last time. So if you have listened to that episode, you're going to uh, hear some sort of repeat, you know, hopefully with a, a fresh look. But it's still going to be some of the same data and information because some hasn't just simply hasn't changed. Uh, but we felt like if you were going to just listen to this, this streamlined redox, these three episodes, you needed to get everything. So I apologize if you're an avid listener for the repeat information. We appreciate you, avid listeners, and we appreciate you if you're a new listener. So thanks for tuning in. That's for certain. All right, so let's get started, uh, and we're going to kind of we're going to cover today uh, a, a little bit about. Um, When's the time to engage a realtor? We'll even answer the question: Do I actually even need a realtor? What uh, you know? What benefits do we get from using a realtor? We'll move from that into some of the documentation that's going to have to happen uh, as part of your sale process. That's what we'll do here in the first episode. We'll we'll cover those two areas, uh, and then uh, we'll go from there. So the first question, sort of that maybe that tough question or questions that people ask themselves a lot, which is: Do I even need a realtor? Yes. Well, I, I mean, you know, obviously it's our profession and, and we feel like that it's beneficial. And I, and I think the statistics and the, the studies tend to back that up. Uh, but let's look at some other ways people sell. And uh, the, the real sort of big one is going to be for sale by owner. Uh, kind of. Actually, I haven't seen a for sale by owner sign, and I can't tell you how long. When was the last time you saw one? Yeah, that's a good point. I haven't either. Now, I can tell you that um, uh, two years ago, we were quoting statistics that said um, that less than 10% of homes across America are sold for sale by owner. Uh, but we, uh, we were wondering at the time whether that included things like um, familial exchanges, uh, divorces with quick claims, the other things that you had mentioned in the previous podcast. Um, and, and we just we didn't know. I went looking for new statistics, and there aren't really any out there. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. They certainly in our area do not seem to be on the rise. They seem to be on the decline, if anything. Yeah, I think too something unfortunately that has been on the rise is just kind of crime and some of the things surrounding even realtors who theoretically are more seasoned veterans to securing, you know, letting in, letting out, all of these kinds of things. And there's even been, unfortunately, more realtors murdered in our industry uh, than there has even in the past. So you've got some real safety issues when you throw your home and you stick a for sale by owner sign out in the yard versus going through a credentialed realtor and somebody that's got your best interest at heart and making sure that the people that are walking through the door hopefully have been pre-qualified and are actually looking for a home and not just, you know, willy-nilly 
willy-nilly, oh, I saw your number on and you welcomed me into your home and it said, come kill me. No, I'm just kidding. Hopefully not. But Yeah, no, I mean, we, we clearly have processes. Uh, we have uh, vetting tools. We have accountability within our industry of who's coming in and out of houses. So from a security standpoint, we have a lot of that sort of set in place and figured out. And even though, as you mentioned, there's still scenarios, those tend to be more open houses than than showings themselves. But the, where where realtors are are victims, it's not near as often as uh, it, it's not often enough to to be horribly scary. But it's certainly often enough to allow us to be conscious of it. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why you might choose a realtor. Another one, and probably a big one in a lot of people's mind, is financial because the information does suggest. Uh, based on a lot of the benefits that using a realtor will get you, that that the bottom line is is realtors tend to pay for their fees based on how they negotiate and how they help you price a home, et cetera, et cetera. So um, you tend to make more money uh, using a realtor. That's what the studies show. And quite frankly, this industry is pretty complicated. There's about 400 touches that go on during a real estate transaction. And I was cleaning out my closet over the uh, New Year's. So Eric said before we got started that I'm not lazy. Well, I had a little downtime. And so I spent that time uh, going through records, throwing things out. And in those records that I was throwing out was one of the one-page contracts from when (laughs) I started in this thing 23 years ago. Um, It was a one-pager, and I am like, Whoa, how we have deviated from this. Right. <laughs> like, the, the standard contract used in the Kansas City area, 16 pages now. Yeah. yeah so, so there yeah, you have I've it. seen those one pagers. I wasn't in the industry back then, but I certainly have seen them. So, just to kind of tell you about the complexity of the industry and some of the nuances that uh, are contained within why you might like to engage the services of a realtor. Right. So let, we're, we're going to dive in in just a second to the benefits of realtor, but let's talk about one other way that people are selling their homes. And this one is on the rise. I have no idea how, what percentage it is, but we would uh, we would call it an iBuyer program. Uh, there have been some that have come and gone, including some massive investments by Zillow, which then they abandoned. I think it was $5 billion investment. Uh, that they abandoned because they couldn't make it work. But one of the uh, ones that I know is still out there and buying homes is Open Door. Um, and uh, people say, well, um, should I use them? It, they certainly seem more simple than uh, dealing with the realtor and the overall process. And so uh, here's, the, here's the scoop on that. And, and a good realtor will talk to you about this if, even if you're working with them. Selling your home is uh, always a series of choices. Virtually every home in America can be sold right now as is. The question is, at what price? So generally, we're dealing with people that are willing to put in some effort to increase the revenue they're going to get from the sale of their home. And so that becomes one of the things realtors can help you with, which is, you know, where's the right place to put my time and money as I prep a house for sale? And we're going to talk a lot about that in episode two. But... um, Selling to open doors like selling to an investor, uh, somebody who might want to flip. Or and might... speaking of that, yeah, those are on the rise. I have heard and seen more investment type of commercials or or you know radio, TV, whatever, and even popping into my daughter's YouTube or whatever she's watching. Uh, these these we buy a house any condition commercials. Sure. Now, if you look back in 2020 and probably even early 2021 and last year 2022. You didn't see a plethora of those, and I think that's a direct result of the days on the market that has increased since those times of fire in the streets, back to the future style selling. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're playing on on people's panic or their need to to move quickly and their expectation that that was going to happen. You know, in 2018, 2019, we weren't talking about home selling in a day and a half. It happened on occasion, and it was like something to just kind of you know smile about and go, "Wow, that was really cool." Um, and and it became almost the, the 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 standard. It became the norm for a little while that we would tell a particular seller that they could list on you know Thursday or Friday. We would let it be shown over the weekend, and then we would review offers on Sunday. And and in the early days, I developed that strategy. I was so excited, and then everybody latched onto it. Sure, <laughs> I was like, oh wow. Well, so but you, then it went on for quite some time. Yeah, a year and a half or more. And and if that's your expectation, and all of a sudden your house is on the market for two weeks and you haven't gotten any offers and very few showings and you're in panic mode, you're going to start looking for any offer that comes knocking on the door. And so I'm not saying that these are bad choices. What I'm telling you is, is you're getting wholesale prices and you could be getting retail prices. That's up to you. And 
your agent, if they're good, will have that conversation with you as well. They'll say, look, here are the things we can do to maximize profit. Is this the right amount of effort for you? Or are you not interested because it's not worth you know, this much time or this much of my dollar investment to get this much return? It's one of my favorite things when we sit down with the seller is just finding out more about where they're at, why they're selling, what their timeline is, and, and going down that path with them. It leads to lots of other cool stories that we get to learn about either the memories in a home that have been held, you know, how they raised their children there, whatever transpires from that conversation. But it's one of my absolute favorite conversations to have with our sellers. I, I agree. Uh, it's, it's, it's just that's how you become their agent, right? You become their representative. And, and that's pretty awesome. So now, I think, did you talk about divorce? I know we had it on the previous I mentioned one. it just briefly, right? So that's a... Because sometimes one is just going to quit claim the house to the other one. Right. Uh, and if they needed to be off of the mortgage, that would be a separate issue that they would have to pursue a refinance for. Um, but if you're just simply transferring it to one or, one or the other who is living in the home... You know, we can give you some uh, advice. We're not attorneys, but we can kind of tell you what the expectation is. We can introduce you to a title company that can help you with those documents. And then if you need to refinance, you'd be welcome to use that title company. You'd have to engage the services of a mortgage professional to refinance. Um, But that could be one of the things. But if you're completely uh, selling the home, then a realtor could be a good choice for you to help sell the home. Sure, because if you're doing that sort of, hey, I'm uh, as part of the divorce settlement, um, one spouse gets all of the house, There's that's already been valued. Uh, prices has already been established, so it's now it's just a matter of, of, of paperwork and filing with the, the county, et cetera. So. And with talking about timeline, when someone passes away, for example, I just had a, a good friend of ours. His mom passed away. Uh, they contacted me. We kind of laid out all the different options, what it looks like at this price, what it looks like if we do some of this work. But they have a lot of cleaning to do, so I was able to provide them with some resources for dumpsters, unfortunately, and different things like that. So when someone passes away, it's also a good time to engage the services of a realtor. When my mom died, I found out about all the paperwork That's right. uh, that goes with that in, a, in an unexpected situation. So what you need at the title company and everything else, I can help prepare you for that and any good realtor can. Absolutely. And so those were kind of some of the scenarios where we could see you know people choose not to use realtors. Some we agree with, some we agree with less. Um, but let's, let's just jump into then, and we've kind of already touched on several of them, but let's dive in. What are the benefits of using a real estate agent? Uh, and um, I think overall, uh, you talked about 400 touch points. We talked about paperwork, which we're going to discuss in detail here in a little bit. Overall, uh, as you may know, if you've listened to the podcast, I have a 20-year uh, uh, IT career prior to coming into my career as a real estate agent. Uh, and that's software engineering, project and product management. It's a, a variety of things. And I was amazed at my project management skills and how they just completely transferred into being a really good real estate agent. Because I think one of the things you hire a real estate agent for is essentially to be your project manager because there is a lot of moving parts on the sale of a house typically. Absolutely. And the communication back to you from that project management standpoint is essential. Um, I was on my uh, coaching with Effective Sales Development this morning, and the two people that I had uh, the honor of being in the little group with both had had real estate experiences within the last two, seven, and five years, one for a parent. And they said that the number one thing that they would have changed about their experience was the communication. And I said, well, why is that? I said, were they not telling you what was going on? Were they not giving you weekly updates? And they were like, you do that? (laughs) Yes, we absolutely do that. I mean, at every point when I'm getting information or when I'm calling the lender or the title company or whatever that is, I am relaying that information to my client and in their preferred method, whether that's a text or an email or a phone call, whatever that is, I'm getting that information as soon as I can to them. And uh, I just don't really think you should accept anything less than that, Eric. I I agree. I mean, uh, it's okay. I think in the nature of the real estate business where nights and weekends and 24-7 is kind of a thing, it's okay occasionally to have your realtor not answer your text you know, at, at 8 o'clock at night until the next morning or something. But, but the pattern of not being responded to, which we hear on occasion, uh, just blows my mind. So we'll really discuss that when we start talking about how you choose a realtor because there's, there's an interesting little trick there. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, I mean, that's part of project management, right? Which is communicating Absolutely. to all parties involved what's going on so everybody is on the same page and the, and the whole thing moves as smooth as possible. I was talking with a potential new client. Actually, they became a new client uh, just recently. We've gone out and seen our first homes. And one of the things I told them uh, during our initial meeting was um, that uh, if uh, you are um, – in terms of the communication piece, if if you are not hearing, well, no, here's what I told him. Sorry, I got to back up. My brain is moving faster than my mouth at the moment. <laughs> I said, look, if you're talking to a real estate agent, a realtor, and, and they're going to tell you that your home sale, or in this case, a home purchase, their first time buyers, is going to be easy, walk away. Because this is not an easy process. Now, if they tell you that they're going to do everything possible to make it as easy as possible for you, then that's an agent who knows what they're talking about because that's hopefully they're trying to actually do that. And so that's what, you know, from a project management standpoint, there's a lot of moving parts here. I'm going to keep you well informed. We're going to keep the, the, the lanes, the, uh, the, the wheels greased, right? We're going to keep it going and then we're going to deal with any bumps in the road as we get to them. Uh, and that's what I'm there for. So, um, Absolutely, communication, huge part of that. Um, what are some other benefits of using an agent? Man, how much paperwork do we have to do, Eric? Uh, we were just actually looking at some different uh, revisions and everything before yeah. we uh, jumped on to record this podcast. And, you know, there there are a lot of documents um, required just to get into buying or selling a home, uh, and especially on the sales side because you've got some extra paperwork that, of course, the buyers will be looking at. You, you want to go ahead and jump into some of that paperwork right now? We can yeah, just cover yeah. It? yeah, let's do that. The, the biggest one to me is seller's disclosure, right? The seller's disclosure is a huge one that, you know, you guys go through. And I think we're going to go through that in a little bit more detail, but we've got, you know, the right to represent well, the let's, clients. Let's spin off. Let's just, let's do it now. Let's Let, go. Let's tackle it. And and I was going to say that. Let's, let's start with the first document they're likely to sign as a seller, which is the most common uh, document that allows a real estate agent to legally represent you. Uh, which in our it's called an exclusive right to sell, uh, and typically there are other ones, but that's like ninety some odd percent of the one that's used, which essentially gives your agent for a period of time the exclusive right. It is there. Uh, you're not going to give that right to anyone else to to uh, sell your home. Technically, to assist you in selling your home. Um, couple of things on that that are important, or at least one I think that is very important, which is it has a termination date on it. And yep. so they start date and an ending a date. Start date and an ending date. And so theoretically, when you sign that document, um, and that realtor might ask for you to sign it for a variety of lengths. Um, some of that will depend on the nature of the home you're selling. Um, certain homes are always on the market longer. If you're selling a $2 million home in Kansas City, it's, it's likely to be on the market for quite a while. So I would probably extend that out for quite a while. Whereas if you're selling something that's been freshly remodeled, that's priced well uh, at, at $325,000 in, in, a, in a desirable area, then you know I might shorten that because we know we're not just going to be working together for that length of time. Um, one of the things I would ask every real estate agent um, is uh, what happens if during whatever this time period is, uh, I become uh, disenchanted with you as my realtor? How, what happens? And um, different agents and different brokerages will have policies on that, but I think you need to go into your agreement with your agent eyes wide open. Because it's possible that they were great at the first meeting and et cetera, et cetera. And once they get you under contract, maybe they're one of those that aren't communicating very well. And that's very frustrating for you. And you need to know what your options are. And as a client, another important part of this document, if your agent was to decide to change brokerages midstream on you, that agreement actually belongs to the broker. It does not transfer with the agent. Now, some brokers will allow that to transfer with the agent. Other brokers will not. And I'm sure it uh, depends on the circumstances at the time of what's going on. But that's important for clients to understand uh, that they love the brokerage that their uh, their agent is with because that actually belongs to the brokerage. That's right. That's right. So if you're, yeah. And so hopefully your agent, if they're making that decision, they're going to have a long conversation with you about that. Don't want to like super scare you on all that kind of stuff, but that's a good tip. Eyes wide open. That's right. Eyes wide open. My Eric's big, key phrase. It's my catchphrase, without a doubt. 
You were mentioning what I think beyond once you get under contract with somebody and you're ready to sell the house. I agree with you. The most important document in terms of uh, representing your home, the seller's disclosure. Boy, oh boy. What, what? Tell us about that. That one gets a bit daunting for the sellers sometimes, doesn't Can be. it? Yeah. It does. And, and don't be overwhelmed by that form. What you want to do there is just encompass making sure that you are covering your legal hiney. CYA, it's baby. That's heine. what I said. Yeah. Yeah. The politically correct phrase, hiney. You like that? <laughs> Bote. That's right. <laughs> Anyways, we're so we were noticing that it has uh, increased a little bit in length over time. I think when we recorded previously it was 412. It's 419 now, so somewhere they squeezed in seven more lines of something in there. Maybe it's just a bigger buyer box, Eric. I didn't see specifically anything that yeah, I Yeah, I don't remember but, any, any line changes. Yeah, yeah, but specifically, you know, this, this goes through all kinds of things, even down to telling your buyer what utility companies you use. And that's just a nice waves so that make sure they transfer them in a timely fashion when you're transferring but you know if they can know whether it's their current provider or someone else it's just useful information and just literally no home is perfect okay any expectation that any home is perfect is is one that is sorely going to be uh, unfortunately disappointing to one person or another That's right uh, it's like the car you know you drive the brand new car off the lot and there's always something wrong with it it's you know like my cats or something. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> we were talking about that earlier. But there's so much in this document that it's important that you take the time as a seller to really go through this. And if you don't understand something, ask. Um, and if you absolutely don't know, just put unknown. Don't lie. Don't make it up. Put unknown. Yeah, it's got sections for things around plumbing, around HVAC, around electrical, around the roof, the foundation, etc. But I can tell you one thing, and I, and I know Jen and I very much agree on this, is, is that you should be truthful. You should be transparent. And in my opinion, you should share as if you think, I wonder if I should put this on here. The answer is yes. yes. And here is why. Number one, the whole cover your hiney. But number two... When I represent buyers, when buyers get a seller's disclosure that has a lot of, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, that doesn't breed any confidence whatsoever. When they get one filled out that says, oh yeah, and by the way, if you look up in the top left corner and the northeast corner of the kitchen, you will see a teeny bit of discoloration where we had to put some kills down because two years ago we had an ice dam. Now we fixed the ice dam and had a roofing company come out and they said there was really no problem. Ice dams happen, water builds back up and it's so it's not a problem. But all of this happened and we wanted to let you know. Now you tell me if you had somebody who didn't disclose that discoloration or somebody who wrote that lengthy paragraph which one are you going to feel more confident in about who was maintaining their home? Yeah, of course. You're going to like the detail of feeling about what you're buying. Yeah. Here's what we know is wrong. Here's what we've done to mitigate it. So incredibly powerful. So the seller's disclosure, when done correctly, I think is an incredible sales tool. Absolutely. Other things that you'll want to do is potentially put together a booklet of... Yeah, if you've got any warranties, uh, anything that you've bought, some people love to save their manuals. That's great. You throw them in a drawer, three-hole punch those and put them in a binder. Just organize them a little bit. I mean, it can be in a file folder. That even goes a long way, I know, with potential buyers. Matter of fact, one time I was at a house and we had an issue with uh, some plumbing and they had kept pretty meticulous records and we were digging back through all kinds of plumbing records and we found a toilet repair and they had failed to disclose that on the seller's disclosure but they had noticed that discoloration uh, sure right before we're closing of course of course uh, yes eric remembers this well i'm oh, sure yeah. but at any rate we dug through that file and did find that that toilet had been repaired right up there so it does serve a purpose and it does it did give the buyer a little bit of peace of mind there was some unsettling because it hadn't been disclosed, but we were able to work through that based on some documentation that was put in that file folder. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, and so that's really good. And so uh, other documentation that your agent is going to help you gather is HOA documentation. If you're in an HOA and not just uh, like uh, how much I pay and who I pay it to, but it, it's really, again, beneficial if you can get your hands on the covenants and the rules and regs. Um, and, and that's just really helpful. I see so many listings in HOAs where that information isn't readily available. And that's really, I mean, kind of unfair. You're asking somebody to buy into this HOA and you're not even sharing with them what the rules are. Yes. And then they, unfortunately, they do have to sign at closing that they know that they're moving into a covenant protected community. So whether they know the covenants or not, they sign that they are moving into a covenant protected community. 
Other documentation, if the house was built before 1978. We um, have a lead-based paint disclosure. Again, the government requires us to tell you that it may have lead-based paint in it. I don't think I've had anybody in the last decade tell me that they knew a house had lead-based paint in it. I think at this point, right, that's pretty common. Uh, number one, it's probably most of it's probably been gone but or painted over a lot. Um, but uh, anybody having knowledge of it would be pretty slim at this point. Of course, obviously, the older homes are where this is a higher risk, such that, you know, yeah. 1978 is the, that, the, the line in the sand. That's when EPA or somebody figured out that we need to get lead out of our paint because people were eating paint. So, well, I mean, you know, it was. <laughs> that like, was tasty. It was, Maybe they were just huffing it and it yeah, was a problem. It was just, yeah, I think one of the big deals, because I was, I was alive back then, was, uh, you know, when paint chips off of windowsills and whatnot, and there's very small children who just put everything in their mouth. I think that was the big scary piece of it. So, uh, one more uh, thing that a good realtor will be sharing with you, if it's not real cut and dry, uh, is uh, kind of a discussion about where you're going to likely end up uh, financially. And so that's called the seller's estimated proceeds yes, sheet. Yes, it is. And and they uh, they well, I mean, you have to it, you'll have to end up giving your agent some information to help them put that together for you. Yeah, if you have your mortgage statement readily available, that's super handy. We can look up a lot of the information to help get you through this document, just to kind of tell you an estimate of what you're going to walk away with, which is nice to be able to have just kind of that roundabout figure that you're like, okay, I've got the peace of mind for moving on. And some people need that uh, before they know what they're going to be biting off if they're buying another home. Right. So. Yeah. So it's a rough estimate, but your agent can put that together as long as you assist them with some data. So, you know, we start, we go back to what does an agent do for you? We talk about project management. We talk about documentation. And we just spend a big chunk of time on, and, and, and probably not an exhaustive list, but probably the most common list of documents that you'll be dealing with as you get your house on the market. Um, let's jump right into then really sort of the next question, which is, okay, you've convinced me that maybe getting a realtor is a really good idea, or maybe I didn't need a whole lot of convincing. How do I choose my realtor? Um, and, and of question, course. question, question. <laughs> so I love questions. I didn't love questions in my young age, but I do love questions yeah. in my old age. Well, I'm not that old, but so, so I tell you what, I'm going to spin off here for, I'm going to do it very quickly for 90 seconds and I'm going to define some terms. So you hear the term realtor, you hear the term real estate agent, you hear the term broker and you hear the term brokerage. And let's do some quick definitions. A brokerage is, in fact, the business or the company. There are brokerages that are large national brokerages that actually have franchises, franchise models, just kind of like uh, 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 McDonald's, right? You know the McDonald's is most likely owned by somebody locally. Maybe they own a series of them. That's the same thing for the big, huge-name brokerages that you've probably heard of, uh, Remax, uh, Keller Williams. Century uh, 21, Realty Executives. Prudential, all of those. Those are all franchises, so each individual office is owned by somebody different and they pay to be able to use that name, branding, etc. Then there are smaller uh, boutique local brokerages. I'm sure the one that you all know is Dream Homes by Jen, right? We, um, uh, I, and then um, if you haven't figured that out, that's us. And <laughs> But you might know some others that, uh, and actually one of the big ones in Kansas City that uh, I don't believe is franchised is Reese Nichols, which is actually local. Well, they do have an alliance do they have a franchise fr do model. They? Okay. Yes, they All do. Right. All right, so there you go. And learn something new every day. Um, that's the brokerage. That's the business. So the other terms refer to individuals. So a real estate agent is someone who is licensed by the state. Uh, so, uh, for example, Jen and I are both licensed real estate agents. Well, okay, Jen's a little more. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, in the state of Missouri and Kansas. Then there's the term broker, and broker is a different license. Jen's actually a broker, and um, when you it's supposed work... to mean you adult, brokers <laughs> are supposed to be adults right. or act like them, which <laughs> well, sometimes in real estate doesn't happen. Uh, hmm. So brokers have are they have to be in the business for a while. There's a more education they have to do and more testing they have to do, and if you're a real estate agent and not a broker, you must operate under the auspices of a broker. And that broker theoretically, and certainly in our case, provides uh, mentorship, review, education. So they're sort of the uh, the, the supervisor, if you guidance. will. Some guidance. Yeah, providing guidance. Jen does just an amazing job for our team for that. 
Um, brokers can operate uh, in that capacity sort of as, a, um, um, I don't know, in a traditional um, corporate setting that would be some kind of management level, but then they also can act uh, as an agent. So you, the person showing up might be a broker, but they're doing typically agent work. They're still working with clients just like Jen does, et cetera. Um, somebody who has a broker's license and is not um, assisting at that supervisory level at all, they've just decided to have that license, and I'm actually working on mine now for this purpose, I will be known as a broker agent uh, because I won't be directly supervising anyone, at least for a bit. Uh, and then uh, lastly, there's a realtor, right? So we talked about real estate agents and brokers, and those all have to do with licenses from the state. A realtor is someone who is licensed with a state, but also has joined the National Association of Realtors. Realtor! Right, and the National Association of Realtors uh, has a handful of requirements for you to be a member of that organization. The one that's probably important to our listeners is, is that they agree to abide by a code of ethics. Yes. And that code of ethics is detailed. It's, I forget how many sections there are. I want to say, I don't know, is it eight or 12? And they're all big, but it has to do with uh, exactly what you think it does, which is performing your real estate functions in an ethical manner, uh, truly being a fiduciary, which means having a legal responsibility to represent your clients. So here in the Kansas City area, to get access to the MLS, you have to join those organizations. So virtually every real estate agent in Kansas City is a realtor, which is why we end up using the words interchangeably here. That is not the case as you get into other parts of the country and even other parts of the state, both Missouri and Kansas. Not every real estate agent will be a realtor. Correct. That was more than 90 seconds. but Sorry about that. Yeah, apologize. So we broke off to do those definitions, and now we're going to go back to how to choose realtors. Yes, and we said question, 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 which is similar to an interview, right? You're going to ask a lot of questions in an interview, and we suggest that you feel very, very comfortable with your realtor. You're going to be disclosing as we included earlier in the seller's disclosure or the seller's uh, proceeds, some personal information. So you want to make sure that you like this person. They're going to be calling you, giving you offers, financial offers, hopefully lucrative offers, right? And they may have, unfortunately, sometimes we have to give them some bad news because we ask for feedback from the agents that are coming through the property. So you want to make sure that this is a person that you're comfortable communicating with, that you can accept bad news if it's coming from, because it's not all unicorns and rainbows, okay? Moving is the biggest thing that most people ever do in their entire life. And so with that comes stress. Our job is to make it as seamless as possible. And so that's what you want from this person and their communication, their style, and your comfortability with them. Absolutely. And not only will we be sharing a lot with them, but you're going to be relying on them to be, you know, that ship in a storm because selling a home, buying a home, participating in a real estate transaction is, at least at some level, a very emotional process. You become like familia. Yeah, so you've got to have be, be willing to say, this person can be a pretty decent anchor for me. Yes. And so I think that's really important. I think people ask me, well, I'll meet people and uh, we'll have sort of a, uh, a listing presentation where I'll come in and I'll tell them all the things that you know I would do for them if they chose me as their agent and everything. And they'll frequently ask, okay, well, this is like the smart question, like, what question haven't I asked you that I should have asked you? And uh, uh, I say, well, you haven't asked me for my advice, and here's my advice. Interview at least two more agents. And they're like, you're nuts. You're, you're telling me to go look and see if there's somebody better than you? And absolutely I am, because I know I'm not the perfect agent for everyone. Um, I'm probably the perfect agent for most, but no, I'm teasing. Um, so, well, we uh, all have different communication styles, and, and we've been big on a lot of training in here, which includes like your profiles, your driving forces, all of these different kinds of things. And the truth is, is that everyone's not meant for everyone, and that's okay. That what that makes us human and amazing and unique and awesome because we all have those different qualities. I'm a very direct communicator. Um, we do have agents on our team that are uh, a lot more compassionate, might be the right word, and and maybe can be a little softer than I can. I'm great with investors. I'm an investor myself, so I, I work a lot with that. It's just all numbers, hard dollars, cents like that. But sometimes people need a little more sugar coating, and I'm not always a very good sugar coater, <laughs> if we're being honest, which I am. Yeah, no, you're, to a you, fault. <laughs> you're 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 direct. You're not uh, you're not rude, but you're direct, and right. that's that's part of you know who you are, and it's part of. And your most appeal. people love it, but some people it is too much sure. for. Um, the 
here's a question I think uh, that that is a fair question to ask, which is, uh, and uh, how important is experience in this business? It's not necessarily important as long as you've got a good mentor along the way. So. Right. And that's the real answer. And this is where I encourage you, if you've got somebody who hasn't been in the business very long, uh, or at least you perceive they haven't, strangely enough, uh, I've only been doing this for about three years now. And when I tell my clients that, that haven't listened to the podcast, uh, I am uh, I am very um, humbled, but also kind of proud that they say, oh, wow, we thought you'd been in the business much longer. Part of that is, is because um, I have been backed by a massive amount of experience with Jen and our team. So working with a brand new agent or an agent that's maybe a year in or two years in is not necessarily a bad thing as long as they truly have the backing of an experienced team, mentor, broker, however their particular franchise or brokerage is organized. You could ask some great follow-up questions to that person, like how often are you speaking with your mentor? How often are you speaking with your broker? And if they say once a month, I'm just going to say that as a new agent, that's definitely not enough. Uh, We meet weekly, we go over transactions weekly, and honestly, you and I probably spoke 20 times a week in the first, you know, throws of when you were getting started at least sometimes probably 50. I mean, we, we spoke a lot. And the point of that is to make sure that the clients are well taken care of and that communication is not only excellent to our clients, but to each other and to our learning process. And so that's why that's so important to us. So like we said, find to work with a new agent, just make sure that they've got that support and, and follow up with the question, how many times a week is that happening? Right. And, and, you know, what, what's your, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I can tell you the times I send messages to Jen and I say, hey, when you get done with, because I know you're in the middle of something, and then I get a text back like in two minutes and I'm like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> She's like, well, I don't want to leave you hanging. So, you know, I'm about to get on a horse and do some writing for a competition, but I'm going to stop right now and answer your text. Yeah, you- that way if I get bucked off, you still got an answer because <laughs> <laughs> that didn't happen this last week. Oh, Okay, so uh, let's go through some of the things that you should expect from your realtor um, and that they should be theoretically talking about or at least have good answers to your questions as you're vetting them. Uh, and, and when it comes to listing your home, I think an all-encompassing term that we use frequently is the term selling strategy. But that really inc- incorporates lots of different moving parts that your realtor should be able to, via discussion with you, kind of hammer out where you're at. Right. And a lot of those are driven by things that we've already talked about, which you, the client, are the determining factor. How fast do you need to move? Which determines price? Which determines how much prep work which you can do? Right. Which determines, you know, if we want to do some curb appeal, that's a little easier today because it's about 50 degrees here in the Kansas City area. Normally it might only be 20 or 30. Obviously back in December when it was a negative 20 below wind chills, probably not doing a lot of curb appeal if you were listing your home right then and there. So it's got to be a little uh, seasonable sure. sometimes even. But it, these are all different things that can go into that selling strategy that are ultimately driven by the client. Absolutely. So you should expect a discussion and then a, a, a workable plan for uh, all of those things that suit your needs. You should expect a pretty solid discussion about communication. We can't stress that enough and how important that is and how how much it actually just pains me when I hear people talk about they working with an agent who won't communicate with them. It just drives me nuts. I am such an over-communicator that I even have to reply stop or no to even all of the telemarketers <laughs> that text me. That's so terrible. There's some effort of I hope that they actually go away. Um, but there's also I am such a communicator that I feel obligated to put something <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's uh, it, it is uh, like I say, there are plenty of circumstances where you may not get a response from your realtor within the minute or the hour. But if you're waiting two or three days and by the way, one of the tricks that you can use when you're choosing a realtor, maybe you've uh, been given a recommendation, maybe you've pulled something off the Internet, uh, maybe there's some social media that you like to follow. And then you whatever your preferred communication method is, you know, a text, an email, a phone call, whatever it is. And you say you, you get, you know, hey, Eric, uh, I, I heard your podcast and I'm looking for a realtor and I'd like to discuss with you about possibly representing me. And then if I weren't to reply for three days, whoa, yeah, I think you, I think you, negative ghostwriter, you've got an answer right there. That yep. person isn't communicate in, in, in a way that's timely. Some of the stuff has to happen very timely. Yep. 
And I always encourage people for me, if you absolutely need me, I am 100% responsive to text. We get a bazillion emails. And unfortunately, sometimes there are emails that are missed. I try my darndest not to, um, especially if anybody follows up with me, I search and immediately get on it. But the emails are not what I have found to be the most effective anymore. You actually need to pick the good old phone up. That phone, actually, when it originated, was used for calling people. I know, voice. There was voice on it. And it was amazing. that is one thing that I always hear from either clients or even other realtors, and they're like, y you answered the phone. And I'm like, yes, I always try and answer the phone. Oh, yeah. And they're like, "No, nobody does that anymore. Like, no, I think that's a very important feature yeah. that we need to remember. And if you, if you want, there's some things that just can't be well conveyed in an email or text, especially when you're selling a home. Mm. And, and the vice versa of that is, is there's some things that are probably best conveyed via As email text, yes. or text. Right. Uh, but, but whatever just, you prefer, yeah. you just let your yeah. agent know, and then they follow suit with that. So they're going to talk to you. Hopefully, you know, communication is a big part of it. Obviously, working on your selling strategy. The other thing that they're going to be doing is they're going to be providing marketing. Yes. And, and um, there's sort of two ways to look at marketing. And one is, what's the marketing we're putting together? Uh, so we're just going to go through this quickly for selling your home. So the, the media itself, so uh, photographs are uh, a huge deal. Um, and, and I think as opposed to spend 15 minutes uh, beating this horse to death, uh, I'll just say this. If your agent isn't hiring a professional photographer, you should consider a different agent. I, this is my huge pet peeve. I hate non-professional. There are a few instances where maybe non-professional photos will work. I'm actually kind of an amateur duffer and could probably get away with it, but I absolutely refuse. That's not where my expertise is. There are photographers out there who have expertise in res in, in Man, do they. The lighting. And, and Josie even has this cool thing. I can't remember what it's called, but it's a little lens. And she puts it on the wall to make sure that the paint color is matching what is coming through in the photos. Yeah. And I think that is just super cool. Like, I don't have that tool. Maybe I should get it just to have because it's fun. It's so cool. But I was like. Wow, that's awesome. When you when when people are out surfing the internet looking at homes, the first representation of your home is the still photographs that are taken for virtually every home, and if those aren't top-notch in quality and truly representative, they're just not doing you any favors. Or if there's only 4 for a half a million dollar house? Oh, yeah, we were just looking at a listing with that. I just It's actually one of my old houses and mm -hmm. I can't see what the inside of the house looks like. What they've done to the house, <laughs> I can't see it. But there's only four photos. Why? Why uh, is there only four photos? Uh, other media that you might get is a virtual tour. Virtual tours come in a lot of flavors. My least favorite by far is the picture montage because it's just the same pictures I just looked at. Right. Uh, but we do have video tours, walkthroughs like an agent might do with a with a little handheld gimbal. Those are really cool. Jen's done some fantastic ones. Yeah, I love to do those. Sometimes the the property uh, might warrant a uh, uh, sort of a commercial production, a professional production. Some commercial properties, some super high-end properties might need that, particularly when they're uh, trying to attract uh, high-dollar buyers from out of town. Or if they're just unique. I remember a, a commercial listing I had in Excelsior Springs that had so, so much to offer that photos in no way could do it justice. And we had to do a little excerpt so that we could really, truly showcase all of the unique features of such a historic property. And it wasn't super expensive. I think it was $250,000. Um, but without giving the information, it, it really just yeah. wasn't near as saleable as it was once you knew all of the deets about the property. And that did take a production. So just kind of depends on the property and everything is unique, like we said, but uh, definitely part of the strategy that our team encompasses and, and pretty proud of our, our marketing strategies. We've actually got an amazing uh, marketing minds that help us and, and people that have been now been working with us for almost a decade helping us on some of the socials. So really proud of that. The... Um the last one is uh, sort of 3D or 360 views, sometimes called dollhouse views. I love those because you can jump in and do um, very specific uh, look. If you have very, very specific needs, like I need to know exactly how many steps there are into the garage or whatever, you'll be able to find that kind of stuff out. So I do like those. Yep. They're kind of little click through tours is, right. is almost what mm -hmm. they are. So you click to different points at the tour to go to another space within the home. Absolutely. Uh, where that media goes, though, is also part of the marketing strategy. And the first thing we need to talk about is the MLS, the Multiple Listing Service. This is the service that is used by real estate or well, realtors in Kansas City. Um, and this is where 
your listing gets entered in by your agent or someone in your agent's office, uh, including all the photographs, all the descriptions, and a lot of details. And all the documents that we just talked about can be uploaded. Right. And uh, here's why this is this is important for two reasons. Uh, the first one is, is that there uh, is a ton of optional fields that can go into that. And um, in, in my old IT days, we had this concept of garbage in, garbage out, which is, is if somebody isn't entering in the data correctly, there's no way you're going to pull the data out in a meaningful manner. If you have a, um, a walkout basement and that isn't properly added into the listing, and then somebody does a search for homes in this particular area that have a walkout basement, your home isn't going to show up. I'll tell you one that always kerfuffles me. Kerfuffle? <laughs> it kerfuffles me. Garages. When people don't put in the right number of garages on a house, especially if it's got more than two, and I have either seen a listing on the previous or somebody else has listed this home before me and I have gone and I am like, this has not only a tandem garage down in the basement, which is a third or fourth or whatever car right. garage. They haven't counted that at all. You know, there's three upstairs, so there should have been four, and they have two listed. How does this even yeah. happen? Four or even five if there's a tandem down there. Yeah, yeah. but how does that even happen? Yeah. How can you not count garages? I, I I don't know, and we see it happen. So it's really So that's important. why it kerfuffles me. It's, it's, it's super important. But here's the other reason why it's critically important is the tools that you're likely using to look at what's going on in the housing market, these are going to be these national um, websites. These are going to be Realtor.com and Zillow and Trulia and Redfin and Mvoto and all of these. Homes.com, whatever it's going to be, whatever, the, next, the next big thing. Guess where they get their information, or at least a lot of their information. Data feed. From the MLS. Data feed. That's where the pictures come from. That's where the descriptions come from. That's where they get a vast majority of their data. So if we're not entering in properly as your representative, not only is it not showing up to other agents in the MLS properly, but it's not showing up on Zillow and all these other and Realtor.com properly either. So that's why it's important. But they're also likely going to be doing other media things for you. Uh, there's a place for print still. Um, there's that real estate book, um, which is the kind of thing you can get at the grocery store, check out for free as you walk out. Uh, a lot of people still like to have that, put it on their coffee table, look at it. There's a lot of neat homes in, in, in those publications. I, we, we use the real estate book on occasion. Uh, pretty, I think pretty regularly, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. And um, I love the publisher and the owner of the real estate book. He's just a great guy. And honestly, the real estate book has tons of great content in it for sellers and buyers, like how to prep your home, this and that and the other. So in addition to listening to our great podcast, you can dig into the real estate book and all of their digital data that they have. Other print media that, that can be very helpful are, are uh, various uh, flyers in, in inside the house, like copies of the seller's disclosure that people can pick up and take with I them. I do think this is going to become a, a more of a trend again. So it used to be that you had this data available at every single home, and I think people got away with that, maybe got a little lazy during the uh, Back to the Future, Fire Down the Street sale times. <laughs> One thing I used to do when I had a larger commercial property, for example, even or, or even now at our local chamber, since we have so many new companies joining our chamber, is I would print out flyers and take them to my networking events and pass them out. And I think we got away from that just because, honestly, by the time you printed a flyer, the house was already sold. Yeah. So you got away from wasting that paper. It's not really a waste when you're getting it out to people that uh, potentially would be buyers or sellers or whatever. But, you know, that that was something that was in practice all the time, especially when you had properties that would be on the market more like three to six months, which would be more of your average in the regular times, which I think we're kind of stabilizing that market. So I think we will see a lot more print marketing coming forward. When things stay on the market longer, print makes more sense just because... Right. It's still valid information when you have back to the future fire down the streets. Didn't make sense for me to print a flyer on a house that was sold last weekend. So that's, that's true, right? There's a there's a lifespan issue there. Correct. Uh, and of course, and, and not to like gloss over it, but uh, you you should be understanding what social media outlets that your uh, agent and your agent's team and brokerage have for you. So, for example, I'd say the two primary ones for real estate are going to be Facebook and Instagram, and those are sort of tend to be looked at generationally. Um, 
TikTok, I'm not really. Listen, sh- even our younger gal said that she thinks TikTok's probably going to go away and that it's going to be something yeah, similar mean, to Vine. There, there's a, yeah, there's That's all, a quote from a youngster. And and it's still very much entertainment based and business hasn't really crept in there. There's probably also an argument for LinkedIn, which we use sometimes. Yes, we do use LinkedIn. So yeah, the at Dream Homes by Jen, we certainly uh, have those and we have some pretty good followings and all of our stuff goes up on those uh uh, social media as well. So you'll want to find out. Uh, but those are some marketing expectations. Go look at this particular individual's pages and see what they're about. Um, you know, uh, we, we look at them sometimes and, and and maybe it's just fine to have your beers and cheers. Hopefully you don't have your top off in your profile picture if you're a realtor out there. But I, I hate mean, it hey. when they get pictures with my top off. <laughs> hey, I mean, I'm just saying like, these are all things to look at. Go Facebook, stock your realtor, see what they're about. Make sure that you two are on the same page. Absolutely. All right, folks, we've we've run a long time, but we've covered a lot of ground, right? We talked about whether you need a realtor or not, which we obviously think you do. We've talked about how you find one. Of course, you know, we didn't state the obvious, which is you really should be, you know, looking for Eric and Jen, easy enough to do. But if for some reason we're not your perfect fit, there are great realtors out there. Please make sure that you're working with one of the great ones. Uh, there's a lot of documentation, a lot of project management. There's a lot of things that go into this process, and you need somebody who really knows what they're doing. Drop them your info, Eric. Uh, certainly my info. So it's, of course, Eric, E-R-I-K, at dreamhomesbygen.com or 816-301-4121. And Jen, how would they get a hold of you? And I'm Jen, J-E-N, at dreamhomesbygen, 816-405-2439. Call or text. Absolutely. All right. Um we're gonna finish. We're we're finished up. Uh, it's hard work doing five into three, Eric. That's right. Uh, so, so for our next episode, we're gonna talk about home prep and we're gonna talk about uh, showings and open houses. All so right. we got a lot of ground to cover in the second of our series. Uh, but uh, that's it for today. So until next time. You have been listening to Get Real KC with Eric Jurgensen and Jen Justice. For more information or to contact our hosts, visit us at dreamhomesbygen.com where you can find more episodes exploring real estate as it matters to you. 